you have your Bibles, open to the book of Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. How many appreciates this band and worship team? I'm telling you. Yes. Just travel a little bit and you'll appreciate Fountain of Life. It didn't sound good, but anyhow. Hallelujah. God is good. It's so good seeing everybody here. Praise the Lord. Thank you guys for coming out. I know it's back to school time. A lot of our kids have gone back to college, and uh, the school kids are getting ready to crank up, I guess, very soon. So we'll be praying for all those. And uh, amen. Some good stuff is happening in our church. If you are a, a, a volunteer that works in one of our ministries, um, we have volunteers night out, which is Friday night. And it's one of the biggest things we do in the year. We just celebrate and honor volunteers. So if you are a volunteer working in one of the ministries under a said leader, go to the Welcome Center and sign up for Friday night. It's going to be a, going to be a blast. I've been, I've been preaching uh, this series called Unlikely Heroes, and we've talked about Ehud, and we've talked about Deborah. Today I'm going to talk about Gideon, and next week we'll finish it with Samson. And Unlikely Heroes is just dealing with judges from the book of Judges, of course, who um, God raised up to bring deliverance to the nation of Israel when they fell into captivity and would backslide. So there's this cycle going on in the book of Judges. The people would be blessed as long as they were serving the Lord and doing what they should and worshiping God. Then they would fall away, go into sin, not obey the commandments, start worshiping idol gods, and God would allow foreign invaders to come in, take them over, and put them in captivity again. We've already seen this once uh, with Ehud, who goes out and fights against a certain tribe and wins the victory. Then we see the, the, the pattern again with Deborah, who goes out and commands Barak to go fight, and he wins against the Canaanites. And then today we're going to see Gideon, who fights against the Midianites. So I'm just going to take my time and walk through this because it's so powerful. But really, what I see in this is how God uses unlikely, or let me put it this way, reluctant leaders. God uses all kinds of people, right? But he uses reluctant people too. How many can raise your hand and say, I are one? Yeah, because I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. It's, this blessed me, so I hope you just get as blessed as I was studying this. Okay, book of Judges, let's begin in chapter 6. I'm just going to read two verses this morning, then we'll go back and walk through it. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah in Hebrew, which belonged to Joash, the Abbey Ezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Or in the NIV, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Get the picture. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press, which was a large stone that was hewn out inside. And he was hidden down in it, threshing the wheat. Very difficult, tight space with no airflow to blow away the chaff. So it was crazy, but he was doing it because of fear, fear of the enemy armies. And then God shows up and calls him. So what's happening here? God is calling a man who's reluctant 
to receive the call. He's reluctant to take on this leadership task. Have you ever felt to do something, but you stopped because of fear? Have you ever felt called to something, but you stopped because you were afraid um, of what people would think about you? Or you wanted to do something, but you were afraid you didn't have the goods. You just didn't have the ability. You, you, you couldn't perform the task when it came down to it. Well, maybe you're a reluctant leader. And I hope God speaks to you and irons some of that stuff out in our lives this morning. Amen? The situation is the Midianites have taken over Israel. Israel's been in bondage now to the Midianites for seven years. It was so bad that the Midianites would come into the land of Israel and just lay waste to everything they saw. When the Israelites would plant their crops, they would come in in the early planting and rip out or just destroy all of the crops that they had planted over and over and over just oppression. And then the Bible says the people got tired of it and they cried out to the Lord and God did exactly what he did in the, in the story of Deborah. He raised up a prophet. In the story of Deborah, the people were crying out because of bondage and God raised up Deborah who prophesied and then he raised up a deliverer named Barak who delivered them, right? Remember the story? In Gideon, it's happening in a similar way. The people are crying out to God and God raises up a prophet and a prophet just basically says simply, I'm the God who brought you guys out of Egypt and out of bondage. But you have disobeyed me, and you're not keeping my commandments anymore. Boom. There goes into the prophet's life. We never, never hear of him again. And then God raises up Gideon. The next scene is the angel of the Lord coming to the winepress where Gideon is hiding. And I think it's interesting that in times of distress and of national upheaval, God raises up prophetic voices. I mean, there are always prophetic voices, but yet I think it's interesting how in the time of, of national upheaval, God really, the prophets start to emerge and start prophesying. So what's been happening over the past couple of years, whether you agree with some or not, that's another story, but God has been raising up a lot of voices, such as my friend Ken Christmas, who I'm going to see next week. So just out of almost like out of obscurity. We've known him for years, but almost out of obscurity, everywhere I go, people are listening to him. Isn't that interesting? Because the nation, people are hungry. They're hungry to hear something. So God raises up this prophet, and then he calls the people to repentance, and we have to read between the lines. I think repentance is going on because of the prophet's words. And then the next scene, we are in Gideon's hometown. He's threshing wheat. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, You mighty man of valor! Okay, so here's some points for reluctant leaders in the room. First of all, and these are going to help you, I guarantee. First of all, you've got to know that God sees your potential. God sees beyond the circumstance you're in right now. We often only see the circumstance and the limitations that are all around us. We, good seeing you guys. Hallelujah. We often only see the limitations, our inability, what we lack, the circumstances, the age, the season. But God comes and God has this distinct advantage of standing outside time. 
And he can see the end from the beginning somehow. It's like we're in a parade and we're watching the high school band go by. Then we're watching the fire trucks go by. We're watching the homecoming queen sitting on the back of a 1975 Corvette go by. But yet God is standing on the tallest building in town. And he sees the end of the parade from the beginning. That's why he can call those things that are not as though they were. And that's why he comes and calls us not according to our limitations, but he calls us according to the destiny and potential that he knows is in our lives. Now, now, are we going to all reach our potential? Not necessarily. I think he's given us the keys to the shop to have to do some things while we're here on planet Earth. Don't you believe that? So God calls us according to his potential, to, to our potential, not according to what we see. So think about Gideon. He's hiding in the wine press. He's near this oak tree. He's in this, this vat, cramped. What's he going to do? He's cramped down in there, and the Lord comes and speaks. And the Lord calls him out into his destiny. Calls him out into his destiny. Is God speaking to you? Maybe that inward voice inside is screaming, I'm not prepared. Or that inward voice is screaming, but what if I fail? Or what if someone asks me a question I can't answer? Isn't that what Moses said? God came and called a reluctant leader named Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 3. And he shows up, and Moses is now uh, 80. He's on the backside of the desert. He's been there for 40 years. All the smoothness and stuff he learned in Egypt is probably worn off. He's been living out in country bumpkin land for 40 years, tending his father-in-law's sheep. They go up on top of a mountain one day, and God speaks to him, and God calls the destiny out of his life. And Moses says, but you know, I can't speak. God said, I've already taken care of that. Your brother's on the way. I already called him. I made that phone call before I called you because I knew that would be an excuse you would give. And he says, but, but if I go down and they ask me questions that are difficult, who will I say sent me? God said, you tell them that I am, that I am has sent you. Means, and some scholars say it means I will be who I will be. I'm going to be the same God here. I'm going to be the same God there as I am here. And then he said, but, but, but Lord, and he starts making, and God says, what's in your hand? He says, well, shepherd's staff, we'll, we'll throw it down. He throws it down, it becomes a snake, and now pick it up, which would have taken great faith for me. <laughs> Every time I read that, I cringe, man. But he picked that snake up, and it became a rod again. God is going to use him in his rough condition. God is going to use this ex-murderer who ran for his life from Egypt. God's going to use this guy who was raised in Pharaoh's household but has become a nobody now and God's not given him anything special but his presence. He's going to take the old shepherd's staff that's in his hand. He's going to use his stuttering or whatever problem he had in speech. God's going to take all of that and call the potential out of it and show his glory to Egypt. Preach on, Brother Hans. 
Come on, somebody say amen. God says in verse 14 of chapter 6, he says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Use what you got, son. Have I not, am I not behind you in this thing? So he said, Oh, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the baby of the family. How many babies of the family do we have in here? Yeah, come on. I am too. I'm going to use you, the baby of the family, in a tribe that has no, no real influence because he's thinking, how can I raise up an army if my tribe has no influence? God said, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to say a word to the men. God's calling you to rise up and be a leader in your home, in your church, and in your community. Come on, women. Some, everybody, all the women should shout hallelujah and amen and love in here. Yeah, God's calling you to be who God's called you to be. Well, I'm going to get off that. It's going to get rough in here. You know, the, the song Sarah sang, I thought, oh, gosh, this is, this is prophetic she's singing that song. You know, without you, I'm not enough. But with you, I've got it all, right? And so when God calls us, he calls us according to the potential and the destiny he places on us, not according to our circumstances. You know how often I feel unable to do what I'm called to do? Most of the time. Most of the time. One of my friends who's a bishop in Western North Carolina introduced me um, uh, Thursday night to speak. And we were sitting together. And he said, well, Hans, I'm going to introduce you. And I saw he had my bio pulled up online. And I thought, oh, God. Because my bio sounds a lot better. Because my daughter, who has a marketing degree, wrote it. So anyhow, I was like, oh, gosh, here it goes. And he looked at me. And uh, I said, dude, my personality is screaming inside of me right now. It's screaming. I remember we went to a, uh, I was invited to preach a pastor's conference, a pastor's retreat in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina back five or six years ago. And uh, we were going down there, my wife and I, and I was, nerv- I was a nervous wreck because I thought, man, are they going to gonna depend on me to teach on like marriage? I don't do that. <laughs> am I going to have to like teach on leadership? I, I don't, I, 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 what am I going to do? And you got to understand, back in 1996, when the Lord spoke to me to come into the IPHC, because I was a non-denominational guy, when God spoke to me to come into the IPHC, he gave me one sentence. He said, go in and go in with fire. I didn't understand what that meant at the time, but since then, I've seen it unfold in powerful ways. So I'm down there, and I'm complaining, and my wife Jackie looks at me and says, didn't God tell you to just go in with fire? I said, yeah. She said, just do that then. Thank you. And I got there, and you know what we had? Holy Ghost revival for three days. I'm, st- I'm standing on the pews running and preaching like a maniac. 
and we had amazing services. We, th we work ourselves into a hole sometimes thinking, what am I going to do now? when God just wants who you are? Oh, somebody get with me in here this morning. Come on. God just wants who you are. He's going to use you. My friend, Dr. William Ward, used to say this. We've heard everyone else's voice. We've read their books. We've seen their videos. We don't want an imitation of anyone else. We don't want to be a copy. The world is waiting to hear your voice. Let's hear who you are. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. The reluctant leader needs to know that God calls us according to potential he sees in us. The second thing the reluctant leader needs to know is that you and God are a majority. Dr. Dr. Uh, Elias Malk used to always say this, and, and he would do it like this, so let's do this practice this morning. Say it with me. Me and Jesus, me and Jesus. Are, a are a majority. Come on, say it over here in the amen corner. Me and Jesus... Are a majority. If you have Jesus on your side, you have what it takes to do what Jesus is calling you to do. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. It's like you just, one man's gonna do the job. You're gonna defeat the Midianites. As one man. And then he offers all of these excuses and he asks for all of these signs. So, so the angel says, well, go, go get a, you know, an offering. Bring it. Bring the, the broth with you. Put it on the altar. He pours it all over the altar. The angel takes a, a staff and ignites it with fire. I don't know about you. <laughs> if that happened in my backyard, I'd be like, I got the picture, God. I, I, I got the message. You showed up and lit fire from heaven in my backyard. But then he goes back. He says, Please don't be upset, but um, I've got this rug, this fleece rug out in front of my house. If this is really you calling me to do this, this is how reluctant leaders think. If this is really you calling me to do this, then let me come out in the morning and the rug be full of water and dew, but all the ground be dry. So he wakes up the next morning, he goes out and he picks up that rug, everything is dry, and he wrings it out. One more, Lord. Please don't be upset, but if it's really you, how about I come out the next morning and the fleece rug is dry, but everything else has dew on it. Could we do that one? So what happened the next morning he goes out? The rug is dry. All the ground is wet. Yes, three signs. Do we get the picture now? All you need is God on your side, and you can accomplish it. And then he says this. I think it's so powerful. He says in verse 23, Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Who else does God tell that to in Scripture? Listen, I'm, I'm giving you all I've got, man. I'm laying all the cards on the table. Don't fear. I speak shalom, health, wealth, prosperity, favor over your life. I declare that over you. And, and, and to boot, I'm going to guarantee you're not going to die when you get into this battle. Just do it already. 
then. Verse 33. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped near the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew the trumpet and the Aborizites behind him. They gathered and he sent messengers throughout and gathered people from Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. They came to meet him. Every time the Spirit of the Lord is mentioned in the book of Judges, it deals with gathering and calling an army. I think that's interesting. So God gives him a declaration of peace and God gives him the power of his spirit. Now in the New Testament church, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come on us, though he does come on us, but he doesn't just come on us, he lives in us. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would occasionally come on people to accomplish great tasks, and that is exactly what's happening. He's coming on Gideon to empower him for this task. So God's given him three signs. God's given him a declaration of peace. God's guaranteed he won't die, and God gives him the Holy Ghost. Somebody say, me and Jesus are a majority. Come on, one more time. Me and Jesus are a majority. The, thing, the, the, the final thing that I want you to see, all you reluctant leaders, is that the big ticket here is this. God's going to get all the glory in the end anyhow. It's all about God's glory. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God's glory. You know, church isn't about us either. Church is about his glory, and church is about the lost world out there and us bringing them in. And when we get so set in our churchy ways, we lose his glory and block out all the world from being able to come in here. Somebody said, I don't like y'all's music. I don't care for every song we sing either. But it's not about Hans. I go home and listen to my music. It's about me reaching and being relevant to this culture that I'm in right now that I'm trying to win from this woke society. I'm telling you. That was a free sermon I just threw in. Y'all could just be blessed with that. It, God gets all of the glory in the end. So notice this. In chapter 7, verse 2, Gideon gathers an army for himself. And listen to this. When he calls an army, 22,000 show up. Yes, 22,000 show up. And then the Lord speaks to him in verse 2. And the Lord says, the people who are with you are too many. Whoever goes to war with too much. God says, the people who are with you are too many, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Think about this. God was going to get all of the glory out of this. And we think, was God selfish? Well, not in an unrighteous way, because there's no unrighteousness in God. There's no uh, sin in God. There's no unholiness in God. So when he wants all the glory, it's the most holy and orderly thing in all of creation. 
When God gets all the glory, everything else lines up in its proper priority. We are most blessed when He gets the most glory. Do you know that? We are the most blessed when He gets the most glory. If you leave here today and don't remember my name, it's not a big deal. As long as you remember Jesus was in this place and you felt His presence and encountered His Word. If Fountain of Life isn't about Fountain of Life, it's about Jesus and Him getting the glory while we're here on planet earth. My life isn't about Hans becoming famous or well-known. It's about me making him famous and him well-known. Come on, somebody. Is that what you're about in your business, in your job, on the school, or wherever you're at? Is it about him becoming famous? Because God's getting ready to show Gideon his power, this reluctant leader. He's working on him, and God's got the file out, filing down Gideon too. And so he says, I tell you what, take this army of 22,000 and tell all of those who are afraid to go home. So this tells you what kind of army he had. 20,000 went home. 20,000 went home. So he's left with 2,000. Surely we can, with the Lord's help, we can do this with 2,000. God said, no, this thing's still too big. So he says, tell them to go and drink water from the brook. And all those who get down on their hands like this and lap like a dog, you tell them to go to the house. Those that kneel down and have their eyes open and scoop up the water, those are the ones you're going to keep. 300 men did it that way. God said, that's your army. It's 300. So now God's going to take these 300 men and he's going to use them to show his glory to Israel. But notice this little gem I found. Chapter 7, verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord says to Gideon, now that he's got the army of 300, Arise and go against the camp, for I've delivered it into your hands. Get it up, son. Now... Go do it. But what we're not reading in between the lines is another reluctant move by Gideon. So in the next verse, God says, But if you're afraid, but if you're afraid, then i tell you what I want you to do. Because I think God was ready to roll then, but he saw he had this guy who was still shaking in his boots trying to figure out, is this going to happen Am I the man for the job? And then God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your servant. His name is Pura. I want you to go down to the Midianite camp, and I want you to just sneak down there at night and listen to the conversation. So he sneaks down to the Midianite camp, and lo and behold, two men are talking. And one of them says, man, I had a dream last night. And this barley loaf rolled down and took out one of our tents. And the other one said, oh, my word. He didn't really say that, but he said, you know what that is? God has surely given the, the camp of the Midianites into the hand of Gideon. God struck fear into them through a supernatural dream and gave our homeboy Gideon some backbone. As soon as Gideon heard that, the Bible says he worshiped. 
I mean, come on, man. We've been through the angel setting something on fire to the fleece poured out to the fleece put out to now down to 22,000. It went down to 20,000. It went down to 300. And now God still had to jerk that last bit of fear out of you through a supernatural dream and conversation. And he goes back. And he says, bring out the big guns, guys. Get the M16s and the rocket launchers and... No. Get out the swords and shields and chariots. No. Here's how God's going to do it. Pick up your ram's horn, your trumpet, and get a clay pot and put a lamp in it. And watch God move. So he split these 300 up into three different camps. They had their lights hidden by the clay pots, carrying the ram's horn in their hand. And when Gideon blew his trumpet, they blew their trumpets and cracked the pot and lights lit up all around the Midianite camp and they completely freaked out. And God gave the Midianites into the hand of Gideon. Why? Because it doesn't take all that for God to move. It doesn't take all that you think it takes sometimes for God to move. If you're a reluctant leader, know it's all about his glory anyhow. And he's going to use whatever you bring to the table. Yes, you're going to need people. Yes, you need to put yourself to the task. You might need to study. You might need a Bible college degree. You might need all that. I don't know. But God wants to show you the basic premises. He just needs you and you your obedience and he's going to use what you have and he's going to use it for his glory and in the end it's not going to be look how brilliant Hans was and look how amazing I was no when I get over there I'm going to bow before him and I'm going to hit my knees and then I'm going to hit my feet and then I'm going to take my crown and cast it at his throne and I'm going to say God without you I couldn't have done anything without you I never would have survived without you no one would have been blessed come on give him a hand clap of praise somebody it's all about his glory it's all about him showing up it's his deal it's his church it's his work he's already won the battle if we have someone saved we give him the glory someone is healed we give him the glory if a prayer was answered, we give him the glory. If a de demonic spirit was cast out, we give him the glory. Why? Because he's already won the battle and he did all the work in the beginning. And he's just calling us to take up the mantle and carry it on. And This is why it's so important that we take the baton and hand it to the next generation. But if it's all built on us... We can't really pass that on. But if it's built on the Lord, then we can pass that on to the next generation who goes and does greater works than we've been able to do. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The sword of the Lord and Gideon. Cry out, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. I'm sorry, this is how quirky I am, but when I read that, I couldn't help but think <coughs> when Aragorn is surrounded in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and all of the bad guys, what are they called? Orcs. And all the orcs come out and they surround them. 
and Aragorn's there, and they're like, you're toast. And he raises up the sword, and he looks around, and he says, for Frodo. <laughs> it's like us, we're all surrounded, and we say, it's for the Lord, man. <laughs> it's all his deal, man. Come on, Conley's been in the craziest situations in China, scared out of his mind, but it was for the Lord, man. Amen? I was dropped off years ago. I, went, I was invited to Guyana, South America. I went with a whole group of guys. During the day, we build churches. At night, we preached. We went out one night. I'm on a van. They're taking us all to preach. We drop off some folks at a church, drop off some other folks at a church. I'm the last guy on the bus by myself. They dropped me off. I didn't know it at the time. I found out the next morning in the most dangerous part of the city. And they dropped me off on a dirt street by myself. And there's another Guyanese brother who had set up a sound system outside and said, here you go, preach. You know what I did? I preached, man. You know what happened? Not a lot of people came, but God filled somebody with the Holy Ghost. Yes! Hallelujah! You, what you might think is insignificant, God may be changing the life of the next Billy Graham. Come on, man. God may be raising up the next Reinhard Bonnke, and you might think your ministry is totally ineffective. Little Pentecostal holiness preacher holding a tent revival in Oklahoma. One night, two brothers come under the tent. One of them is dying with tuberculosis. His name is Oral Roberts. That little Pentecostal holiness preacher laid hands on him. God miraculously healed Oral Roberts of tuberculosis and spoke to him to take this healing power to his generation. And my word, did he ever fulfill that demand? Who knows when your moment of destiny happens? You've got to say, yes, Lord. That's all God wants is the yes. You might be in a wine press. You might have to have 14 different signs given to you. You may have to have it confirmed 13 times. That's me, right? But God still comes through out of his grace and mercy and says, okay, I'll give you the sign. Just do what I called you to do in the beginning. Come on, how many people are going to say yes to Jesus in here this morning? Come on, wave at me. How many are going to say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you call me to do? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But what if I don't have a 401K? <laughs> what if I don't have a health care plan? I don't know, man you got to do what the Lord's calling you to do, not what your family's saying do. I'm going to get up in your junk drawer right now. God's calling you to, the, to a divine purpose like Conrad said. Maybe you're involved in something good, but God wants you to do something great. Come on, let's all stand. I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm, it's going to get stickier here. Amen? Oh, Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, in the meantime, uh, Gideon went back and 
took an altar made to Baal in his father's town and pulled it down at night with oxen. This is the kind of stuff that starts happening when you receive the call of God. All that junk starts getting cleaned out. Because when you say yes to Jesus, he says, all right, now I'm going to put you on my potter's wheel. And I'm going to start working off the rough angles. I'm going to start working the edges right down to where I can use you. And you may not even know the change is happening, but you look back five years later. Or you look back ten years later and you're like, oh, Lord, you really did it, didn't you, God? You really brought me through. You really did it, Lord. I think about, I forget the name. Some of y'all may know, but there was, a, there was a, a man and woman who in 1919 came to Elizabeth City and planted this church. And when we dedicated this building, some of the older ministers in our conference came. One of them was a, a dear friend named Ernie Trueblood. And Ernie Trueblood, when I mentioned the name of that couple, he said, Hans, they mentored me. And he said, and they were church planters. This couple had gone and planted numerous churches. I wonder, what if they wouldn't have said yes? You know? What if they wouldn't have said yes? What if I wouldn't have said yes? Y'all would have never met this hillbilly. I, I was raised, uh, you know, of course, my mom and dad would drop me off in the mornings when I was young, before I went to school, before I was school age, and my grandparents on my mother's side would keep me. And they were amazing people. Their last name uh, was Gillespie. It's a great Scottish clan, right? And uh, my, I would hear my grandmother praying at night because we didn't go to church. But sometimes I would sleep in a bedroom with them right across the, the doorway from their master bedroom in this little house. My grandfather was a coal miner, spent 42 years underground. And I would hear my grandmother praying and calling out the names of everyone in our family. I am here, I'm fully convinced because of her prayers. Fully convinced of it. And my grandpa said we'd lead Hans down the hallway when he was just little and we'd show him a picture of Jesus on the wall. And he would say, you're going to preach, aren't you? And I wasn't that old and didn't know much, but I knew I didn't want to do that. I said, I don't want to, I'm not going to do that. And my grandfather died before he ever heard me preach, but before he died, I got saved and full of the Holy Ghost and on fire. And he helped me, and he knew I was going to preach, and he told me, he said, don't let anybody push you or pressure you. You get into it when God calls you and at your time. When God first convicted me, I would go see him, and I remember distinctly being in the living room with him one day. My grandfather's a bold man. And he looked at me and he said, your mom says you're praying and reading the Bible. I said, yes, sir. And I turned and walked out into the hallway because I couldn't contain the tears. The conviction was so strong on me. 
And those few years I had with him at Born Again was heaven. We, I'd stay with him, and he'd say, okay, let's all get down on the living room floor. We're going to pray. I mean, I don't know. Think about why did you say yes? Who did God put in your path? What if you wouldn't have said yes? Oh. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin, and I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone, and I thank you that my life has changed in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now, everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus, and we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name in jesus name we pray everybody can say amen hey we love you thank you for following us thank you for watching us online and i hope to see you again